Thanks again, Alex, for faithfully leading us in worship. It's a blessing to me. Food for the soul, right? We prepare for our time in the Word by our worship of our Savior. I'd like you to turn, if you would, your copy of God's Word, Revelation 21. You do that. Revelation 21. were able to get out today. What a beautiful afternoon it was. We had our first official practice for Berean softball, so uh, all of us old guys will be feeling it tomorrow after swinging the bat and throwing the ball. But uh, thank goodness we have lots of young guys on the team to carry us. Revelation 21, last time we finished with the introduction to the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. I'd like you to turn. We'll start, pick up in verse 1 so we can get our context for tonight. We just had to truncate it last time because of time. So verse 1, Revelation 21.1, and we'll just get everyone caught up now, just as you already know, many of you. uh, On the front side of your notes are tonight's notes that are not filled in. On the back side of those notes are last Sunday's notes that are filled in. And So you have the answer to the things we're going to talk about right now. And in just a few moments, we'll move into our new material. Uh, last time we finished up with that, Revelation 21.1, Then I saw a new heaven, a new earth, for the first heaven, the first earth passed away, there was no longer any sea. And we spoke about that this morning, those of you who were with us in service this morning, as we talked about how creation groans for this day, this new creation that's going to come, and it's uh, in birth pangs, but eventually it will deliver, and this will be uh, the reality for us, a new heaven, a new earth, no longer any sea. And we said last time, The new earth will not have a salt sea. It's likely it's going to be fresh. We see that kind of foreshadowed for us as we looked at Ezekiel this morning as this river that comes out of the Millennial Temple will be changing water back from salt to fresh. uh, Most scientists believe, most creation scientists believe that the uh, creation world uh, had uh, bodies of water, but they were fresh. And the water in this new creation is likely to be that way as well. Uh, The indication seems to be the earth is about 75% water now, not so likely in the new creation. Verse 2, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Beautiful new city, Jerusalem. The Lord has gone to prepare it, John 14 said, uh, for us. The other's been destroyed because obviously it was part of the original earth. It's been destroyed by fire. We saw this morning, 2 Peter 3. Uh, That's the destiny of everything that's been built by man that will exist on the earth, will be destroyed uh, by fire. This beautiful new city is coming down from heaven. And that is the word for sky, so it's visible in the atmosphere above the earth, coming down to the earth. It's already existed before this, but now it's coming down. The imagery is of the bride, and that bride imagery is always used of whom? Of the church, right? And so it's inhabited by all the saints. And we're going to see more about this in verse 9, which we'll be at in just a minute. Now look at verse 3. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, and this is Jesus speaking, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And that's a very important statement for us as we think about this. God himself, in the definitive, is going to be with us. Not just God in general like he is now, but himself there, localized glory there in this new heaven, this new Jerusalem. Interacting with men in an intimate way, probably like he did in Eden before the disobedience. He's going to be their God, interacting that way. He's going to be our God. We're going to get to interact with him in a very intimate way. And that's really the key to understanding the very next verse. Verse 4. And he will wipe away every tear 
from their eyes. There will no longer be any death, and no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The former things have passed away. The key to that verse really is that last sentence. That's the former things. We saw that again this morning. Uh, no tears, no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain. Why? Those are all part of the previous things. And those previous things have passed away. And now we're into new things. There's nothing here disappointing, nothing here regretful, nothing here that will uh, be uh, incorrect, unfair, uh, none of those things, unjust. All those things are taken care of. That was part of the old order. This is the eternal state. This is how it gets to be forever. And that's a reality for believers. That's the eternal state they'll get to inherit. A very real, wonderful prospect for us. And in case you doubt it, look at verse 5. And you think, well, I'm still going to be thinking about lost opportunities. I'm going to think about lost loved ones, all those things. Verse 5, he says that statement, no longer will there be any of those things. They're passed away. They were of the former things. And then verse 5, he says, and he who sits on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, right, for these words are faithful and true. Everything's new. Okay, none of those old things, all new things. He's going to make everything New creation longs for this day. This is the day we long for. You can just kind of breathe that thought in for a moment. Write this down. John, he says to John, they're true. He's faithful and true. Everything he says will be done. We understand these words, but we need to apply them to these sentences as we're reading them. Everything he said has happened just like he said it was going to happen. These things are not contingent upon our understanding of how we think they may be or whether or not we can actually imagine in our mind how New Jerusalem is going to come down out of heaven and wait till we kind of put in perspective what that's going to look like on the face of the earth. But it's not contingent upon our understanding. I don't have to understand all of these things. I just have to believe them by faith because the Lord says they are faithful and they are true and they're as good as done. And that's what he says, verse 6. He said to me, it's done. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. There's nothing that can derail that plan. That plan is for sure, as if it's already sitting in front of us right now. And that analogy, of course, applied to Christ, significant. Uh, Christ is the supreme sovereign alphabet. There's nothing outside of his knowledge, no unknown factors. He never is saying, oh, well, I didn't see that coming, no events that are unplanned. The Lord knows all of these things. He exercises supreme control over every person, object, and event. He's planned for this to happen from before the foundation of the world, and now it's going to come. And when he says it's done, of course, we understand that, don't we, in its context. It's done. Is it done in physical time right now? No, because we're still where we are as, as time unfolds. But it's as for sure done as if we were already looking at it. And as you read through Ezekiel and, uh, and you kind of look at the Millennial Temple, you understand as Ezekiel's looking at this temple, it's as real to him as this room is to us right now. And he looks and he walks around and he sees the river running out and he sees all the beautiful things there. And he knows that this is the real thing. And so that's how we can understand it too. All right? God says it's going to happen. It's already done for all intents and purposes. Now, uh, we go on to this next section. It says, uh, I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. Uh, the one who recognizes his spiritual dryness, the parched state of the soul. Uh, those are the types of people who are going to inherit this marvelous thing. Jesus will give the drink that satisfies forever. We saw that last time. You can't pay anything for it. It is without cost. It's the eternal water that Jesus is talking about. And, uh, of course, this marvelous water would uh, appears to be like poison when you try to witness. That's how people react to it. But this is the water of life, uh, the salvation for the soul. Verse 7, He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Uh, who's the overcomer? We saw that last time. The one who has faith, who believes Jesus is the Son of God, that's the one who is called the overcomer. These are the types of people who inherit, those who thirst for righteousness. Remember that? 
Matthew chapter 5, those who thirst for, those who repent, those who overcome, those who admit they're ungodly, those who desire release, uh, those who are unworthy, they inherit. And there's a kind of people, of course, that won't be there. They will be in the lake of fire. We understand that from the great white throne judgment we looked at just a couple of weeks ago. We know that they are not inheriting and they are in the great white, uh, they are in the lake of fire because of unbelief. They won't inherit. But Scripture always supplements that with identifying characteristics. What types of people have as a lifestyle, uh, not the lifestyle of repentance in the battle against sin, but a lifestyle, verse 8, of cowardly, but for the cowardly that's afraid to confess Christ, put there in your copy of God's Word, and unbelieving, unwilling to trust the, the Savior, so there's no salvation available for the unbelieving. The abominable, uh, that's the word stink, an unconfessed state of sin, that's what it's referring to. You understand that you need to repent, but you won't. Uh, murderers, uh, that's a homicide, a manslayer, one who uh, takes a life. Immoral persons, that's sexual relationships that are incorrect according to the word. Uh, sorcerers, idolaters, those devoted to magical arts, those who worship like the unsaved do, those are the people who don't inherit. This is their life pattern. This is the, the direction that their life is. Unrepentant, uh, justifying your own actions. This is how you're going to be. Uh, scripture is very clear. If this is where you are. You don't inherit this that we're talking about here. And all liars, every kind of falsehood, untruth, half-truth, misrepresentation, those who live that way, they don't get to inherit. Where do they go? Well, look at the rest of the verse 8. Their part will be in the lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now let's take a closer look at the city that's coming down from the sky. We looked at all that last time. It takes us right up to the present time. Look at verse 9 of Revelation 21. Then one of the angels, the seven angels, who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, saying, Come here. So John recognizes this angel. He says, Come here. I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he's referring to this city. That's why we said earlier... Uh, that's who it is. It's inhabited by the saints. Uh, he's referring to this city. We know who lives there. All the saints live there, whom the city was made for. This is uh, the Father's house from John 14. Jesus said he went to prepare it. So that's where he is. And we, we could also be there. And he told us that. Now look at verse 10. Romans, uh, Revelation 21. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, verse 11, having the glory of God, her brilliance was like a very costly stone, a stone of crystal clear jasper. Now you notice the words there, having the glory of God. That's what we've been talking about in Romans on Sunday morning. This is what everything, everyone longs for. This is what the, the world longs for itself, all creation. Uh, this marvelous thing, this angel says, come, I'm going to show you this. Ezekiel chapter 40 is a good cross-reference for us. The prophet's given a view of the millennial temple uh, from an exceedingly high mountain, probably Mount Zion, which is the main hill uh, in the city of Jerusalem during David's time. But we know, as we've studied earlier, that right before the millennial kingdom, uh, it's lifted up by an earthquake. And so this exceedingly high mountain, John gets to stand here. He gets to watch this new Jerusalem come down out of the sky. Verse 12, the Lord's made a new earth. He's bringing down Jerusalem to sit on it. Verse 12, and it had a great and high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names were written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel. Twelve gates guarded by twelve angels, it says, and, those, and whose names are on the gates? The names of the twelve tribes of Israel, God's chosen people. And so we're going to start to blend together the saints. And this is 
Obviously, this is going to happen, right? We knew this was going to happen. The Lord has uh, redeemed all those from all ages, hasn't he? He's always done that by faith. And we're going to begin to see the city reflects Israel and reflects uh, the church as well. Look at, the, look at some of the descriptions of this marvelous uh, place. Verse 13. There were three gates on the east, three gates on the north, and three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Verse 14. And the wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Now, how cool is that? Access to God's city uh, brings to mind the Jew, through whom the oracles of God came, through whom the law and the prophets came, uh, the Messiah and judgment always at the gate, uh, the foundation of the access to the city. The plan is laid out so that all could know how to come in. It's built on the teachings of the twelve apostles, the gospel of grace representing the church. And so what a marvelous thing that is. Awesome stuff right there. And so you have uh, the access to the city. looks like it's through the Jew. You have the foundations of the city built on the teaching of the apostles. And that imagery brings to mind how God is bringing all of this together. And we're going to get some specifications. But what we have here is we have these two being put together. And we move into this all of the redeemed. These are the redeemed. Those are the ones that have come to God through faith. Those who came before Christ came, came through faith, looking forward to the sacrificial lamb who would take away the sin of the world. Those who came after looked back, but all come through faith in God's provision. And so this city is going to house them, and all the saints, uh, you with them, will get to reside there. Look at verse 15. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city, and its gates and its walls... Verse 16, the city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as its width, and he measured the city with a rod, 1,500 miles, its length and width and height are equal. Let's get some perspective on that city. The staggering dimensions, the sheer volume and dimensions of the New Jerusalem are unbelievable. Just get some idea, 2,250,000 square miles are roughly equal to 10 times the square miles of the state of Texas. Over a little over two-thirds of square miles of the whole of the United States. If it rests squarely on the earth, then the trench it would cut into the earth's surface would be about 73 miles deep. That's called a chord, in, uh, for those of you who uh, have studied trigonometry. So it's sitting square on the earth, it cut into the earth 75 miles. It's going to reach uh, up into the exosphere. It has about half the volume of the moon. So this is quite a large city. And you get an idea about how high it's going to reach. The exosphere is above where the space shuttle normally cruises. Okay, so this is large. The Lord's making a new earth, and he's making a new Jerusalem that's going to come down and sit on the earth. How is that all going to work out? I don't have to explain that. I just have to read what it says is going to happen. Who would have thought that Christ would come like he would? Who would have thought that the lineage of Christ would be like it is? Who would have thought that the Lord could have knocked down the walls of Jericho and all the million things that he's done? opened up a seed, done all the things he's done. If he says it's going to happen, that's what's going to happen. That gives you an idea of the sheer volume and the height of the New Jerusalem. 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. It's huge. It's perfect. It's beyond our imagination. And as we said on Sunday morning two weeks ago, the glory that God has prepared for those who love him really exceeds our ability to grasp it. We don't understand what it means to be glorified. We don't understand what it means from God's perspective to be given the glory that he has and to share in the inheritance of Christ. But this gives us a little bit, I think, to help us grasp in our understanding some of the magnitude of what the Lord has prepared for the saints. And he's written it down in the book of Revelation for us to read. Now, 
It also has a wall around it, dwarfed, of course, by the size of the city. And you know what? Every time I teach through this book, I just look at that, that slide right there and just thinking, man, how is that going to work? You're kind of thinking about the Earth. Is it going to orbit? Is it going to, still going to spin? That's kind of lopsided, isn't it? I mean, what's going to happen? We don't have to worry about that, do we? And we don't need a sun, do we? We don't have to orbit around the sun. Scripture is going to tell us that uh, we don't need a sun, do we? Because the Lord himself is there and he's the light. We're going to see that soon. So, amazing stuff. Now, look at verse 17. He measured its wall, 72 yards according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. That's just a way of saying he's going to measure it like a man would. Okay? One cubit equals 18 inches. Angels are a lot larger than people. And so they're 18 inches, which is from the elbow to the tip of the finger normally. It was the normal uh, way people measured. would be a lot greater. So he's measuring like a man measures. He says that it is 72 yards according to human measurements. So uh, the angel is measuring like that. So the wall is over 200 feet high that's surrounding the city. Of course, the city dwarfs the size of the wall that surrounds it. But because of, I think the Lord puts it there for its artistic as much as for its, uh, just his general purposes to put it there. It's made of diamond. Jasper is probably the transliteration of the word that would describe a diamond. So just imagine a wall around a city that sparkles that way. Verse 18. The material of the wall was jasper and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundation stones of the city were adorned with every kind of precious stone. These are similar stones to ones found in the breastplate of the ephod of the high priest. So we'll go through them slowly and kind of get an idea of uh, what they are like. Look at uh, the last part of verse 19. The first foundation stone was jasper. And that, once again, that's the word for diamond. So we'll just say that's diamond. The second, sapphire. can be any color but red. It's probably blue. The third, chalcedony, sky blue with stripes of other colors. This is the wall that surrounds the city. This is amazing stuff. Foundation of the city were adorned with every kind of precious stone. Walls, diamond, the foundation stones look like this. The fourth, emerald, which is green. The fifth, sardonyx, red. The sixth, sardius, that's a fiery red. The seventh, chrysolite, that's got a golden glow. The eighth, beryl, that's sea green. The ninth, topaz, that's a transparent type of green. The tenth, chrysophrase, that's transparent purple. The eleventh, Jessinth, bright violet, the twelfth, amethyst, the type of quartz, purple quartz. And then look at verse 21. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. I had a question earlier this week. So where do we see the pearly gates? Right there. The New Jerusalem. Single pearl for each gate. The street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. A couple of weeks ago I got invited to come to third and fourth grade class uh, during Sunday school because they had a bunch of questions they wanted to ask me and they'd written them all out and they were awesome and they were great questions. And one of the questions was, how can the streets be gold and be glass? How can that be? And so I just did a simple uh, grammar lesson for them from Greek and it's a marvelous thing and I want to do it for you too because perhaps you've thought about that. And we had it uh, earlier, we saw that same type of imagery at the end of verse 18, right? The city was pure gold like clear glass. Here's, of course, we have a figure of speech going on here, but here's how it works, okay? The word like is the word hasa in Greek. It means compared to. It's compared to. Transparent. Diogazo, that's action. That means it's glimmering. It is shining. It's blinking. It's shining through. So it's flashing. And glass. Hulalos, that's a stone or a gem. It's blinking like a mirror. Uh, James 1.23, so polished it's dazzling. So you get this idea, and grab it from that description, that something is blinking, this 
Uh, gold is so pure, the city itself is so lovely, that it blinks as if it's a, a gem flashing in the sun. That's the idea. So we're not looking uh, in a conflict of terms in, in, at any, in any stretch. What we're looking for is a marvelous, uh, as best John can do, as he sees this vision, and the Lord allows him to see what's going to be like in the future, he describes it as best he can. It looks like something like an emerald glimmering in the sun. It's so pure. That's what the city looks like. Now, just got a couple minutes. I want to, and this is a fun thing because this is what I did in my own mind, so you kind of know how my mind thinks. From this description, what can we gather about the Lord's nature? Just from the description of what we saw just now. A couple of things. Just go ahead and speak them out if you would. He's omnipotent. Creator. What else? Think about the picture of the city we just saw and the wall that's around it. What can you learn? Uh, what can you know from him? About him? He loves beauty, right? Does he love beauty? He helps us. I think uh, the reason why we have marvelous artists now is the Lord, in His common grace, gives some of His own ability to appreciate it and to create it. And there's some beautiful things on the face of the earth, but there's nothing compared to what's coming down from the, in the New Jerusalem. He loves beauty. He's creative, isn't he? It's beyond our imagination, the things that he's prepared. Very creative. He's not constrained in any way, is he? What he desires to create, he can create. He's no more exhausted by creating a butterfly than he is by creating the New Jerusalem. He does it all without any exhaustion. He's marvelous. He sets aside the best for those who love him. And he's always said that, hasn't he? He's always said that. He sets aside the best for those who love him. He's a builder. He's an architect. He's generous. He's worthy of glory, isn't he? And that's, that beautiful city does that very, that very thing. The outside reflects those who are on the inside. Glorified believers. Marvelous things we can think about as we think about the Lord's nature just in this creation alone. About how he deals with people. 7.30. Next time, we're going to get to, because some of these things are really cool, I want to do them in a group, some of the rules of this city, some of its glory, some of its benefits, and uh, the Lord describes that for us in, uh, uh, as we move on at this, in this marvelous chapter. All right? Let's uh, be dismissed in a word of prayer. Would you bow with me? Our Father in heaven, we are grateful today for just a fun time to be uh, with other saints. And we're grateful that we uh, have someone like you who's planned for our inheritance that we will receive uh, as a benefit, your own home that you've created for us, co-heirs together with your son. And it's hard for us to even imagine uh, how you feel about us. And when you tell us in Romans 8 verse 1 that there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, I pray that we'll start to absorb that into our mind. And begin to live like those whom you have called and you have sanctified and glorified. And not so much as a, as a guilt or worry about things of ways that we failed, but to understand the magnitude of the atonement, marvelous nature of your payment for us. You were aware that we're made out of clay and you're aware that we fail. And you've given us instruction in your word about how to fail less 
But beyond all of that, Lord, I just hope that we'll grasp just how wide and high and deep is the love of Christ for those for whom he died. It's with the thought of all that you've planned for us for the future, this beautiful new Jerusalem that's going to come down on a new earth, that we depart. We love you. We adore you. In our own heart, we say right now how much we love you. Take us into our week, magnifying you uh, as we go through our day. In Jesus' name, amen.